chapter 7, and we've got a surprise guest coming to dinner in Luke chapter 7. I don't know if you can see that picture clearly. It's zoomed a lot, but it's a beautiful, I don't know who painted it. I hope they don't mind us using it, but it's a beautiful picture of the, the woman who comes and washes Jesus' feet, and that's where we are in chapter 7 of Luke. So let's read a few verses. We're going to go through verse 36 to 50 this morning. Um, We'll read just three or four verses to get us going here at the start. Verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. Now, just Luke's trying to make a point here. We're at a Pharisee's house. He said it three times already in like a verse and a half. He hasn't named the guy yet. We know the guy's called Simon. We'll get that a bit later. But Luke, as he has done an awful lot in his first six or seven chapters, is pitching the Pharisees, the religious guys, on one side and Jesus and the rest of the people on on a different side. So she's at the Pharisee's house. She came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, fourth time, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he said to himself, now he's thinking this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now, setting the scene for for where we are today, we're just moseying through this little story. There's not going to be anything, I I think, massively profound or life-changing. Let's just enjoy, once again, focusing on Jesus and what he does and how he interacts with people, particularly with this woman. Uh, It is good to note that some of the Pharisees did give Jesus a hearing. I don't know about you, but it is possible to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Have you ever heard of that? If you've never heard of it, it's not as bad as it sounds, but it suggests that there's, there's bath water needs to got, be got rid of, but we keep the baby. We don't put the baby down the drain as well. And uh, sometimes it's very easy to just completely throw out a group of people or a type of person, uh, tar them all with the same brush. This guy wanted to hear Jesus. He's a bit like Nicodemus as well. Wanted to hear Jesus. He was from the group of the Pharisees who were on the whole opposed to him, but he's willing to give him a hearing. He's not, you know, tagging around after Jesus, asking difficult questions, trying to trip him up. He's inviting him for dinner, and I think the guy has a genuine heart. You're doing some stuff, and I want to, <coughs> to give you a hearing. I want you to give an opportunity to talk about what you're doing. So, so as far as the Pharisees are concerned, most of them opposed to Jesus, but this guy seemed to be open to having a chat. And here's what the meal would have looked like. The table was probably about, the legs of the table might have been about that long. So we think of a table, obviously, like this, and we sit on chairs. The, the, the table was about that far off the ground. Obviously, there were no dogs in the house, and the table's about that far off the ground. And when it says they reclined at the table, they would have, they would have literally been almost lying down, leaning on one elbow, 
and and their their heads would have been sort of facing the table and all, you know around the table all these heads and then their their legs were stretching out away from the table on the ground so their feet were at the sort of the farthest extremity away from the table and they were sort of snacking and the way the food would have been was the the meal would have involved bread and wine and something to dip the bread into does that sound familiar? <laughs> if you come on a Thursday or a Friday night, that seems to be the way of it. As long as we've got something to dip the bread into, we'll be okay. And, and that's the way they ate. And that, that's what allowed this woman to, to come to Jesus' feet. If you've ever pictured this scene like your own kitchen table, you probably pictured something that was almost hilarious in its silliness. The woman crawling around under the table in between everybody's feet trying to find Jesus' feet. But that's not the way it was. His feet were quite easily accessible. And the way these houses were designed and the way these meals were had, they were, they were open. They might have been eating outside or in some sort of porch area. It wasn't behind closed doors. And for this woman to wander in, she's seriously breaking social convention for a Pharisee's house. But for somebody to wander into a large meal like that was not... Uh, something that was unheard of or something that was in any way discouraged. People were able to come in. Beggars could have maybe come in and got some food and gone. So it, was, it wasn't the private life the way we do the private life and lock the door and turn the lights off and pretend nobody's home and, and, and go and eat our meal wherever in the, in the back corner of the house. It was very open. People could wander in off the street. Somebody might walk by and say, oh, look, Simon's got half a dozen mates over. I'm going to go in and see what's going on. So that, that's the scene. There are other guests present, but they're not mentioned. And this woman comes in and we read that, that she had lived a sinful life. That's all the detail we're given. And the assumption of most Bible scholars then is that she was a prostitute. We don't know that exactly, but we just know she had a sinful history. She was known, some, some scriptures say that she was known in the city which might be a bit of a, a euphemism uh, for how she earned her money. And she comes in. She might have seen Jesus before. In fact, she probably did. She's probably heard him. She might have heard him teaching in the Sermon on the Plain, the Sermon on the Mount, Luke chapter 6. She might have seen him heal people. She might have heard what happened at Nain with the, the widow's son being resurrected. We don't know, but it's pretty likely that she did have prior contact with Jesus. To the Pharisees, she was like a leper. We do not want this type of person at our table. We do not want this type of person in our homes. That would have been their attitude towards her. But Jesus is going to accept her. And Luke goes on to describe the scene in, in meticulous detail. Um, she, she comes up to Jesus' feet, I think, probably intending to pour the perfume on them. But as she approaches him, she is overcome with emotion. It is okay to be emotional in the presence of Jesus. It's okay to be emotional in church. It's not something you want to just stir up in a false way. But if it happens, God bless it. She gets close to Jesus and she is just overwhelmed with him. And she starts to weep. And the Greek actually says... For, for the weeping there, her tears are raining down on his feet. She's really going for it. 
I'm, I'm picturing, this will not resonate with many of you, but I'm picturing George from Peppa Pig. If, <laughs> please raise a hand if you have any idea what I'm talking When George cries, George makes a proper job out of it. And when she starts crying, she's just flooding his feet with tears. And, and <laughs> I don't know whether she'd planned to wipe his feet with her hair, but she's in a position here where something's gone wrong and in order to try to fix it, she's going to make an even bigger mess than, than she's already in. She has wet his feet with her tears and now she's going to get in even more trouble by washing them with his hair, or drying them with her hair, sorry. Have you ever um, made a bit of a mess and then tried to fix it and made an even bigger mess? I can't resist it. Here is this morning's guilty pleasure for you, if it'll work. know whether to show a father Ted clip or not you know there's that I don't know but there's that we should I shouldn't I is this okay is it not okay anyway I, that's, that's what I think of when I think of somebody making a mess and then trying to fix it and just making a horrendous mess that's what this woman does she has she's made a mess and she has broken convention by coming into the house she has wept on his feet and it's like oh my goodness what am I going to do now this is like when you're a child and you spill something at home and you try to clean it up with your t-shirt or something before anybody catches you and she starts to, to wipe his feet with her hair. Now listen, ladies never were to let their hair down in public in that culture. In that culture a lady let her hair down when she was at home in her bedroom with her husband and at no other time. Just didn't do it. And for her now to, to, you know, she's probably just thinking, what am I going to clean up with? All I can think of is my hair. She lets her hair down and she begins to wipe his feet, to wipe the tears away. And you would be quick to judge her. This is, if she was a lady who, who made her money in the city in inappropriate ways, this was how she maybe approached men. And she maybe didn't know any better. And she loves Jesus. She has, I think, encountered Jesus before. And she loves Jesus. And she approaches him the only way she knows how. She's overcome. And she's just, she's being herself in his presence. That's who she is. That's what she does. That's how she approaches a man. And she, and she does that with Jesus' feet as an act of worship and devotion and love. Do we allow people to be themselves? in the presence of Jesus? Or do we expect them to conform to how we think they should behave? Um, I was praying one night with a guy. And have you ever, if you're ever in a conversation and there are two other people in the conversation, 
Uh, so let's say I'm, I'm talking to Nigel and Ashley's there as well and Ashley jumps in in the middle of the conversation to make a contribution. Well, I was praying that night with this guy and there was me and there was him and Jesus. <laughs> so, so as far as I'm concerned, there are three people in the room, two physically and one by his spirit. And, and I said to, to my friend, I said, I'm, you know, is it okay if I pray now? And he's like, I go ahead. And I started to pray. And after I had said about two sentences, he was just like, and I'll tell you what, God, thank you for such and such. And I'm like, mate, you, you know, you just interrupted me in my prayer. How dare you? You know, I'm this eloquent. I'm bringing you before the Lord before I leave your dwelling and go home. And you've just butted in. Do we let people be themselves? People who, who haven't learned all the religious conventions that we think are so important. Do we let people be themselves in the presence of Jesus and express themselves? And this woman is expressing devotion. Are we limited in our mindset about how to express devotion? Do we think devotion can only be expressed by maybe private prayer, corporate worship, singing? Are there other ways? Can you express devotion? If you're artistically talented, can you express devotion by by using your artistic talent? If you are someone who has a skill or an ability that you can volunteer to help people, can you express devotion by giving your time to go and volunteer and help a group of people? Can you see that as being an expression of your devotion to Jesus? Or are we limited that our devotion to Jesus can only be a couple of churchy things? She expresses her devotion by doing the thing that she knows how to do. She's good at washing men's feet. Why does she do it? We'll find out later. Now, Simon makes a mistake. (laughs) Simon gets nailed. It's really funny. Uh, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. So remember, just before that, we had our break for Father Ted. But just before that, Simon the Pharisee said to himself. He's thinking something in his head. And what he's thinking is, if this guy was a prophet, he would know. (laughs) And like he's, he hasn't, you get this, he hasn't said it. It's in here. He says, yeah, I don't think he's really a prophet. I don't think he's really that legit. And Jesus is like, Simon, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. And there's an irony there that I think Luke wants you to smile at and laugh at. This guy thinking he's not a prophet. And Jesus, oh, whoops, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> what were you thinking there? I appear to know it. Jesus answered him, Simon, I've got something to tell you. Jesus knows a lot more than Simon thinks he knows. Tell me, teacher, he said. Look at the way he approaches Jesus, all stiff and religious and formal, not like the woman. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. 50 is about two months' wages and 500 is about two years' wages in that culture. So even the 50 is quite a lot. All right. If somebody was to come and say, you owe me two months of your wages, that, that's going to hit everybody. So the, the 50 is not a tiny amount. The 500 is a massive amount. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. It's a simple parable. And whether Simon realizes it or not, He in the parable is the guy who owes 50 and the woman owes the 500. And the question is, who who will respond with the greater love? 
God is the money lender. Sin is the debt. And some people have racked up a bigger debt than others. We all, all have a debt of sin. But there are some who have a different level of debt. But it doesn't mean the one with a lesser debt needs Jesus' forgiveness any less than the one with a greater debt. But Simon's a legalist, he's a Pharisee, he's a religious guy, and everything in his mind is calculated around legalism, and he probably reckons, I don't owe God much devotion. God doesn't deserve much devotion from me because I have not sinned that much. And Jesus sees into the heart of Simon, and he sees into the heart of this woman, who Jesus goes on to say later on that she's committed many sins. He sees into her heart and he does not belittle. When he goes to forgive her, he does not belittle what she has done. But he's more troubled, I think, by what's in Simon's heart than what's in the woman's heart. He's more troubled by Simon's cold attitude. I haven't done that much wrong. I therefore won't exercise that much devotion towards God. And quite a few of Luke's parables do this thing where the tables get turned, where somebody thinks they're okay and Jesus comes in, tells the story and flips the thing on its head. Happens again in the story of the prodigal son and the elder brother. Happens again in the, in the study of the, the two guys who, who come to, to prayer. There's a, there's a Pharisee and there's a, is it a publican or a tax collector? Are they the same thing? That they, they come and they, they both come to pray and one of them goes home justified and the other one does not. Jesus tells these parables that turn the tables. Simon thinks he's got it all sorted. Simon thinks he's the great host. Simon thinks this woman has broken all the conventions of having a guest. But Jesus turns the tables on him and says, no, actually, it's you. It's you that needs to look at your own heart. It's you that is not getting in line with the kingdom of God and what is actually happening here. And Jesus turns to Simon and he, and he pushes things further. He says to Simon a great question that we'll come back to. Do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Number one, convention broken. You, were, you failed as a host, Simon. You failed to provide me with water to wash the dirt off my feet. And she has washed my feet with her tears and her hair. You failed to give me a kiss. You did not give me a kiss, a kiss of greeting. Again, a cultural thing that we maybe don't fully understand or aren't that comfortable with. But a, a cultural greeting, a kiss on the cheek. Simon failed to do it. He was not the host that Jesus expected or wanted. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't provide any oil. Again, it was customary to provide a little bit of olive oil, not particularly expensive, for a guest to come and put a little bit on their head. And this woman came and provided perfume, really expensive, to pour over his feet. And the question is, Who's the host? In this picture, who is actually hosting Jesus? Is Simon the Pharisee who owns the house and has invited him to the meal? Is he the host? Because he's not acting like it. Or is this woman actually the one who is properly hosting Jesus? All the things that Simon should have done, he has failed to do. 
He's the religious guy who doesn't think he's done that much wrong, who, who doesn't appreciate forgiveness, who hasn't responded with a heart of love and devotion. He has failed to do the things that he should do to host Jesus. And she has picked it up and she's done all of those things and she's done them to extreme levels, lavish in her devotion. Simon was meant to be, these Pharisees and these religious guys were meant to be the guardians of everything that was sacred. They were meant to be the religious leaders of God's people. Yet this woman is providing Jesus with all the cultural courtesies that a host should provide. And could it be, could it be that in our generation, those who should be hosting Jesus are not doing it faithfully anymore? And a bunch of very unlikely people will come in and will host him the way he should be hosted? Could it be that the guardians of all that is religious and sacred are not sometimes being faithful in hosting Jesus and in representing Jesus to society? And could it be that the church will be flooded with those who, like this woman, see an open door and come wandering in and just overflow with devotion the only way they know how? Could it be that Jesus would say, you can host me now. You can host me. You are, you are showing your devotion and you're providing for the things that I should, I, I should be given in this context. You're going to show people what my grace is like. Those who are meant to be the guardians and the trustees of it are not hosting Jesus the way they should be. And another question that is asked is the question, do you see this woman? Like, and I think there's more to that than just have you noticed what she's done. Simon, do you see her? Do you see people like this? Or do you have an ability to, to sort of filter them out of your vision? As you walk down the street, as you go about your business, as you go to work, whatever it is, do you, do you filter out the things that you don't want to see? Or do you see them and do you look at them? And all Simon could see when he looked at the woman, according to to his thoughts. If, if this man were a prophet, Simon says, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. And I really think that, that you know, obviously Luke is quoting what Simon is thinking as the story is, is relayed back to us. But I think in Simon's thinking, he's got it wrong. He should be thinking he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she was. All right? if, he's think, if he's aligning himself with Jesus... She's not that sort of woman anymore. She's, she's encountered Jesus. She's heard him and she's come to, to lavish devotion on him, to show her love for him. And Jesus sees who she now is and who she can be having received God's forgiveness. Whereas Simon can only see what she was. Do we give people a second chance? and a third chance, and a fourth chance? Or do we just label them and say, well, that's who you were 10 years ago, and that's who you will always be? I can remember a kid who, who was in my class in school years ago, probably in his mid-late 20s now, and I bumped into him uh, one time when he was about 21 or 22. And when he was, when he was 14 or 15, he was, he was fairly typical, you know, slightly irritating, but not... You know, he's just 
He was a bit of a rogue. He never quite crossed the line, but he could be a bit of a puke. And he came to me when he was 21, 22, when we met, and he was, he was actually quite serious, and he started to apologize <laughs> to me um, for, for the way he'd behaved in school, which wasn't that bad. But I said to him, listen, that's not who you are anymore. My memory of you will not constantly be 14-year-old chucking something across the room or something like that. You know, give people a chance to change. When I meet someone in their 20s who I taught when they were 14, I don't assume they still act like they were 14. Well, some of them probably do. But I don't, I don't just assume that they haven't grown up or they haven't matured or they haven't changed. Give people a chance to be different from who they were five years ago. And Jesus, when he sees this woman, he sees what forgiveness and what the power and the grace of the gospel can do in her life. Whereas Simon has only one thing. This is who you were and this is who you will always be. He will not, he does not have the grace for her to change. Do you see this woman? And the reason for her scandalous act of love is that she has received the scandalous grace of God. I think for me personally, there are, there are certain things that fuel my worship, whether that's corporately in music or whether it's given time to something as an act of worship or wh- whatever it may be, whatever things you do that you see as being acts of worship and devotion to King Jesus, if those things grow a wee bit cold or a wee bit routine or you find yourself thinking, oh, do you know what? I just can't really be bothered going and doing that thing that is part of my worship. It's good to meditate. That even sounds a bit deep. It's good to just remember you're forgiven. <laughs> I love the, the moments and the lines and the songs that we sing when, when you just come to a line about how we have been forgiven. A line that reminds you that we're part of the people of God because of the blood of Jesus. A line that just brings you back to to how it all began that you can easily forget about. And and I've said this before and I I tend, when we get to those lines in the songs, the hands go up just, just to declare and to remember, I'm forgiven and that's the most incredible thing. And if our love is growing cold, maybe our appreciation of the forgiveness of God has started to to wane a little bit. Maybe we have started to fade in our just our true acceptance of who we were and what he has done for us. That should never fade. That's why Jesus always said about the table and the bread and the wine. And he didn't prescribe how frequently it should happen. But I think it was to happen reasonably frequently. So that we would continually be brought back to the fact that we are a forgiven people. Because of his body and his blood. She grasped this. That she had been on the receiving end of a scandalous level of grace. And then she brings him a scandalous level of devotion. Whereas Simon, very little devotion. Very little respect actually probably for Jesus. Just saw himself as a wee bit too close to Jesus in terms of equal. (laughs) And Simon as well, probably in a way, loved having this woman about in the background. Because as long as you can look at somebody else who's worse than you, it feels good, doesn't it? As long as you can find someone 
who committed more sins and racked up a bigger debt than you think you have, it can bring you a very twisted and wicked level of comfort. And the question is, as we, as we close, who do you identify with right now? Two people, and there's a spectrum between them. But there are two people. We've got, we've got Simon, the religious guy, who doesn't think he's been, he just doesn't understand the depths of his own heart. He doesn't understand how ugly sin is. He doesn't understand how awesome forgiveness is. One of, one of the songs, one of the Getty songs, Behold the man upon the cross. Good to do that. Good to, to you know, Paul says in Romans 5 that, that God demonstrates his love for us. Now, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So whenever you look at the cross, you see love. I think as well as that, when you look at the cross, it's good to look at the cross and see that's actually how ugly sin is. That's how horrific sin is in the eyes of God. To look at the cross and realize the depths of our sin and the depths of God's love and forgiveness. Simon had had just got a bit familiar. This woman knew the, the depths of her sin and knew the power of Jesus' forgiveness. And she approached Jesus with outrageous devotion. Who do you identify with most today? 21st of November, 2021. Not, not a couple of years ago or where you'd like to be, but just right now. Where, where are you on, the, on that spectrum? Are you leaning closer to Simon? Because as I've said a, a week or two ago, religion does not mean tradition. It does not mean a different way of people expressing themselves in church. That is fine and that is not to be criticized. Religion is when something just creeps into your heart and starts to make you feel that what you do makes you right with God. That, that somehow your efforts and your acts and your lifestyle earns God's forgiveness rather than faith and trust and receiving the grace of God. It's so easy to start to lean over towards Simon. So, so easy. Rather than staying where this woman is in a place of devotion. And Jesus says to her, your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. She has placed her trust in him as the one who forgives her many sins. Tom Wright says, this story of Jesus at the house of Simon the Pharisee is as full of gospel as any story in the New Testament. We're taught to pray, your kingdom come. That's what it looks like. Your kingdom come is a meal. And this, again, ad nauseum, ad infinitum, I'll keep repeating it. This is why we have called this fellowship table. It is why we eat together and prioritize it. It's because we want to have a place where people like her can walk in and sit at a table with Jesus and share life with him. That's why the weekly meal is a weekly meal. And I pray that we have the, just the energy and the focus to keep on doing it <clears throat> as a weekly meal. It is a special occasion, but it's not just for a special occasion. It's not something you do once or twice a year because that's what we do as churches. No, we want to follow the pattern of Jesus. As we go through Luke's gospel, we will see him many times sitting at tables with people. 
and we will hear him many times telling stories about meals and people coming to dinner. And that's why we want to lay a table where Jesus sits, where the doors are open, not just to provide ventilation and get the bugs out, but where the the doors are literally and symbolically, metaphorically open that anyone can wander in who would never go to church. But when they see this and they see Jesus, I'm going to go in there because I can. I can go in there. I can approach and I can be with him. Meals bring you close to people. You see people as they are. God sees Simon and sees this woman as they really are. All the masks come off around the table. So yeah, that's Luke 7. Finished.